Hey, you're listening to In Traffic with Neil Rubenstein. I am Neil Rubenstein, and today I will be sitting in traffic talking to Australian cartoonist Jason Chatfield. Yo, man. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm good. Sorry that it took an extra second. I couldn't figure out uh, how to, like, present you. I Ooh. said I went with Australian cartoonist. Yeah, that works. That's what I do. That works, right? Yeah. How do you go? Are you illegal here now? <laughs> They're trying to build a wall to keep me out, man. Did you say am I here legally? <laughs> Yeah, are you like are you a citizen or? Yeah, I'm a permanent resident. I have a green card. Ah. Yeah. And was what was that? Uh, I didn't mean to get into this right away, but <laughs> no, let's dive in. Why not? That's like uh, was that difficult? It's difficult, right? It is more difficult to get a green card to the U.S. than it is to remove a grain of sand. From the human brain and make it extraordinarily difficult so that you have to really want it. It took years, years and years and years. My application was 167 pages long and uh, it really tested the marriage. Uh, I'll tell you that much. Is, is, did your wife also get one? or She does. She gets a spousal green card. Um, I'm under something called an alien of extraordinary ability, if you can believe that. Uh, it's no, I can't. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, exceptional Arts and Sciences Green Card, so EB1, it's called. Huh. Uh, it's for, for people who are at a certain level of their industry who can contribute to the American economy. Wow. You know, America needs cartoons. Because you draw, because you draw caricature. <laughs> I have the main thing is I have a comic strip, a syndicated comic strip with Universal, and that's kind of my my bread and butter. Well, it, it was, but the newspaper industry kind of ate a dick, so now I'm you know diversifying. But all right, so we, let's talk about that for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Ginger Megs, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. No one here has any idea what it is. No, of course. But That's the greatest thing it, about it. <laughs> it's massive, right? It's like family circus. Yeah, it's 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 like peanuts in Australia. Um no no offense to Jeff Kane, but uh it's bigger than family circus. Um I, I it's been going for ninety five years, so there's been four other cartoonists before me, including the creator back in nineteen twenty one. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it was handed down to me as like a legacy strip. So the previous guy who did it, about three days before he died, he asked me to take it over. And he was kind of a, it was a big mentor and friend of mine. And, um, yeah, and so I took it over. So, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's syndicated in about 120 papers in 34 countries. And uh, it's like Australia's version of, uh, I guess, Dennis the Menace is the same, is the equivalent of the strip. There's like a business behind it, or like, are you responsible for keeping it alive 
the business end of it up as well. Yeah, so I do all the invoicing and the business and the promotion and the syndication and the drawing and the writing and all the promo stuff. I'm going to San Diego Comic-Con this week uh, to do a whole bunch of that, which is kind of essential nowadays to, to keep a fan base. Um, there is a family, the creator's family, uh, his granddaughter kind of runs the uh, licensing end of it, so like the intellectual property trademark thing. Uh, but she's she's kind of hands off. She kind of doesn't really have to do much. Um, it's more just that she owns the trademark to the name. Uh, so and, yeah, it's kind of a one man band. And you got put into this at like twenty or something ridiculous, right? Yeah, twenty three. I, I honestly didn't think I was going to be able to do it because I had never done a comic strip. I was doing political cartoons for ages, like editorial cartoons, and uh, I didn't. I mean, I, I knew how to do a comic strip, but I just had never done one. So I kind of got plunged into it at a very young age. Uh, and I was very doubtful whether I could actually do it. I, so that's yeah. a, I, I'm, like, blown away by that. <laughs> it's, like, I'm so, like, I've known that about you since I've known you, and I'm yeah. still like, what? Yeah, it's, so, it, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a weird one. Like, there's no precedent for it. It's, it was definitely a weird situation. And you've been here a while. You've been here like 10 years. Well, I started coming here in 06 um, for about a month at a time. That's 10 years ago now, I just realized. Um, uh, and what I would do is I would meet up with other cartoonists and we'd have this thing called the Rubin Awards, which is like a big weekend with a two-day conference and then a big awards night on Saturday. And then on the Sunday, we'd have like a, you know, basically a hangover party. Um and I kind of built up my network of cartoonist friends um, that way. And uh, then I eventually got a green card and moved here permanently uh, a couple of years ago. So I've only really lived here permanently for a couple of years, and I've been coming for a long time. Do you feel like getting acclimated to our sensibilities and our sense of humor, is uh, is it hard to then also maintain what Australia expects from an Australian-based comic strip? Yeah, it, that was a big question when I was about to move. People were like, oh, is he going to become all-American now? But what happens is, uh, and I didn't know this when I was moving, but this is purely from experience, is once I moved, the contrast of living in American society and hearing American vernacular and you know, cultural differences, it actually accentuates what's unique about the strip. So what's unique about the language and the circumstances and the, the character. So that, that contrast between American and Australian stuff, is, it's kind of like when you, you know when you go on a vacation and you kind of get a better perspective on things than when you're like buried in your day-to-day? -day. When you leave Australia, you realize what it was that was unique there that everyone else isn't really doing. Like, I used to think for a long time that Australia and America were very, very similar. And they are in some senses, because everything America does gets syndicated to Australia. So we already know what your sense of humor is. We already know, you know, the shows and the cultural things and the language and all that, that we have our own. But it's hard to determine which is which when you're there. So once you move out, you get that contrast and you go, oh, that's an Australian thing. Shit, I didn't even know that until I moved here. So it's actually easier to make it uh, authentic than it was back there, um, you know, strangely enough. 
Do, do you still go back a lot or no? Not really. It's pretty expensive. It's 24 hours of flying, and it's about two and a half grand. So it's, yeah, it's not particularly easy. <laughs> I've been back twice. I've been back twice. Um, once was uh, for, I had to host a, like a gala event thing, so they actually flew me down for it. Um, and the other time was, uh, actually, come to think of it, no, no, I, I, I guess I've only been back once. Um, I planned a trip, and then I never went. So, yeah, I've been back once <laughs> since I moved here. Shit. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's really expensive. People have come over here, though, because I'm like, well, why move all the way from Perth in Western Australia, you know, where my family is, um, uh, to New York and then have to go back to fucking Perth? You know, you're in New York. You, you guys come here. It's way better. <laughs> it's insane for me to go back there. I, uh, I was in Perth once. Wow. And I remember it was like real. It was like uh, it was like Detroit was a beach. <laughs> what a succinct equivalent. I actually feel like I, went, I was in uh, Nashville a few weeks ago, and uh, I actually think there's a lot of similarities with Nashville. With the you know, it can be very quiet. Um, it's very clean, wide roads. Everyone drives. You have to go into the city. Um, to sort of do things, and there's only like just like one long strip of bars. Um, it's, it is kind of a big country town. That's how it feels because it's not really a very big city at all. It's like I think 2.1 million, it's not, which you know it has the landmass of the third of North America, yet it has the population of fucking Albuquerque or something. Are you talking about Australia as a whole? No, I'm talking about Perth. Like Perth oh, re- oh, is yeah? in Western Australia, and Western Australia is a third of the landmass of North America. Like, Australia and North America have the exact same landmass, and it's the same size, um, oh, and roughly the same shape. Uh, and all, of North, all of North America and Australia is the same size. Mm-hmm. It, and I didn't even know that until I overlaid them on a map I, I, uh, and realized, holy shit, they're the same size. It's just that there's way less people in Australia, and you can't really live in the middle because it's a desert. So everyone lives on the coast. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm 100%. In fact, I... I with all the channel, with all the channel, and all the... If, like, if you look at North America... I'm looking at, I've got a map of North America in my studio. I'm looking at it now because I'm trying to memorize all the states. Um, <laughs> and I've got pins in all the cities I've been in. Um, looking at it now. So from the top, so the northwest corner, Washington State down all the way to Florida, that weird little dick Oh, so you're just saying the United States. Yeah, North America, yeah. No, North America is the continent. That's right. Australia as a continent is as big as North America. The continent. Mm-hmm, yep. They're exactly the same size. With, with the tundra, the Canadian tundra and everything. Uh, the Canadian tundra... That's Canada. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's part of North America. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're so like Alberta, Saskatchewan, Ontario, Quebec, all that. Do you not know the difference between a continent and a country? Of course I do. Of course I do. I'm looking at I'm looking at the the map right now. I think I think it's it's semantics right now because 
You've got Central America, you've got South America, you've got North America, right? And those are continents. Yeah? <laughs> no. Uh, South America is a continent, and North yeah. America is a continent. Yeah. I think Central America is part of North America. I'm not 100% sure, though. Mm, I think it's its own thing. But I might be wrong. Well, it's not a continent. Whatever it is, it's not a continent. It's an isthmus? Isthmus? Uh, it's a... Yeah, there's a word for it. I know what you mean. Yeah. So, including Canada, if you included all <laughs> of Canada, which, yeah, yeah, okay, that's part of North American continent... Uh, it's, it's slightly bigger than Australia, but not that much. But because Australia is What's surprising because Australia is always at the bottom of the map. It's at the bottom of the globe, so it's always warped on a map because it looks smaller. But when you actually yeah. flatten it out, it's exactly the same size as the United States of America. There's like a... This is a great geography is, lesson, by the way. This is horrible. Because I'm an idiot and also driving, so I have no idea. I can't, like, look at anything. And I'm staring at a map, and I'm still wrong. Um, I was just amazed uh, that you were like, yeah, yeah, North America, from Washington to New York. Well, no, I mean, uh, you know, the continental United States of America, the fucking Canada doesn't matter. Who gives a shit about Canada? <laughs> That's from a fellow Commonwealth country. That's the most American thing I've ever heard anyone say. <laughs> See, I'm integrating. I'm integrating you well. The <laughs> there's a thing about uh, there's like a like some sort of imperialistic thing about the map mm-hmm. where uh, because England and America are so influential in whatever, right. whatever. That, like, when you see things on maps, the Southern Hemisphere stuff is almost always disproportionately small. Yeah, of course. And also the tilt. If you have, like, a globe and it's on that tilt as well, everything's warped so that Antarctica and Australia and New Zealand and South Africa are all just kind of these afterthoughts that have been distorted because they're at the bottom of the globe. But if you flatten it out, yeah, I mean... yes. It's surprising how big, like, Indonesia is and how big, uh, you know, the Pacific Islands are and everything. But on a map, they look like just specks, you know. That, I mean, that is an imperial thing because they drew the fucking maps. Yeah, yeah. Well, it surely is massive. I remember when we were over there, like, we had to, like, fly from city to city. Yeah, oh, of course. Where here, you know. <laughs> you can drive. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you can't. You can't. I mean, you, I guess you could drive in Australia, too, but it's... Yeah, if you're a massacre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's, nothing, there's nothing really to see in between, though. So here, if you drive, you go on a road trip, there's stuff, you know, on the way. There's at least, you know, towns and pit stops and roads and stuff. In Australia, it's just like, you know, between Adelaide and Perth, that's a, that's a you know, two-and-a-half, three-hour flight on its own in a plane... But it's like a day's drive minimum if you don't stop. And it's the longest stretch of nothing on Earth, including every African country. It's just the longest stretch of straight road. It's called the Nullarbor Plain, and it's the most boring nothing place on Earth. If you were going to hide a body, you'd hide it there. I think there's actually a movie about that. <laughs> about how you might have Yeah, something about it. It might be in the Northern Territory, but it's like it's called Wolf Creek. You ever heard of Wolf Creek? I don't, know, I don't know how I would get a body from here to there. 
<laughs> in your bloody truck, mate. Chuck it in with a kangaroo. <laughs> um, why the hell were you in Australia, by the way? I don't know that we've uh, had this conversation properly. I went... Uh, I, I, I'm a, I was a tour manager for a long time. I, yeah, I yeah. tour bands, and uh, we did Soundwave. Ah, right. Yeah, the festival. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, you go over for, like, uh, two weeks, mm-hmm. and you do, like, uh, seven or eight shows. Wow. You do, like, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, Adelaide, Brisbane? Uh, yeah, Brisbane. Uh, that's it, I believe. It's, uh, yeah, I believe that's it, right? Sydney. And then you do, like, an off day. So, like, they do the festival right. in Sydney, and then you do, like, an off day show in Sydney. Right. Then you do Brisbane and Adelaide, and then you do, like, an off day show in Adelaide. Yeah. And then you do Melbourne, and you do an off day show in Melbourne, and then you do Perth. Right. And then you, uh, and then you, and then you leave. So that, that tour is basically how anyone in the live entertainment industry is able to make any money at all. I mean, if you're a comedian or a musician... Obviously, a musician is much more expensive because you've got to lug shit around. But uh, you can't just be a comedian and live in a city. Like, you just can't stay there. It doesn't matter how good you are. You have to go every fucking month. You've got to just tour around. You've got to go to Brisbane, Sydney, Adelaide, Perth. You know, you've got to go down to Tasmania to Hobart. It's a, it's a real, like, it's the only way anyone can make any money. Here, you've got a little bit more of a chance. I mean, you go on the road, well, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the other thing is like, you don't have to go crazy to right. get five road gigs in a week. You know, like <laughs> yeah, you know, like you could drive and do like the Poconos in Philly and somewhere in I mean, Jersey and somewhere. We're lucky up this end, yeah. You could do a, a, a gig in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine. You could go all the way up and still hit more gigs in a tiny space, in the space of, say, the size of, I don't know, Tasmania, than you could in Australia. You'd have to fly five hours across the country yeah. to get another spot. And then you have to, you do like a week of gigs. You do Monday through Sunday, and it pays maybe a grand. So that's your, like, it's not tons of money when you think about it. After tax. Well, the, the other thing that I noticed about Australia was, like, one the water, like a bottle of water is four dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's fucked. Yeah, they they're on water restrictions. So because of the desert continent, water is not as um, readily available as it is here. Particularly, it's like the, it's like the entire country is California. Um, so yeah, it's expensive. And that that was crazy to me. That like yeah, totally. Like water was such a pre. Uh, I just wanted something to drink. Like something to yeah. drink. <laughs> Simple uh, things in Australia do not exist. Everything is a little bit more complicated than it needs to be. Like, it, every transaction flying. is more hard than it needs to be. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. Because in America, you want a thing, you give people money and they give you the thing. And it doesn't, you don't have to remortgage your house. Like, food in Australia is so fucking expensive because not only does it, like, it's very different because... I guess the economies of scale are different, but, um, you know, there's no GMO stuff and there's no cheap ways of producing it because they're very strict about that. So it's better quality food, but it's stupid expensive. So you, you only go out for, like, a special occasion. You, you don't eat out every nut a week or anything. Yeah, here every everyone is just always yeah 
signing out. Uh, right. And it's affordable. The, like, yeah. The, the one thing, though, that it was easier there is flying. Yeah. <laughs> like. Because <laughs> it's no TSA. Yeah, there's no nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like you, we just, we were, like you walk in and be like, oh, this is my ticket. Do like, you have any idea? And you'd be like, no, I got it, got it. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you going to yeah, do? Like, fly I remember, into the air's rock? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I, I, remember, I remember being like, like one of the guys had put their passport in their bag and, and put it through the, and then we were like, oh, they're like, oh, passports. And he was like, oh, I put mine in my bag. And they're like, all right. And we're like, all right? Who was this? Uh, First of all, what fucking idiot is putting their passport in their fucking suitcase and checking it are, in? Musicians are dumb. That's why they need oh, I know. Yeah, that's hilarious. But, yeah, they're pretty – I mean, it's not that they're lax. It's just that, I mean, what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, I guess, yeah. I mean, you know, there's not that many – we had one terrorist attack in the last – I don't know, 40 years, and it was one guy with a sawn-off shotgun last year. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, guess, I guess it's, like, it's different because it's, like, domestic it's fights within the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I was kind of baffled by it, and then I was, I was like, I was on both sides of the fence with it because I was like, right. oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. We did, they're, <laughs> they're cool. And then it was like, wait, wait a minute. What if, what if that wasn't him? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> What if I'm hostage? What if I've been taken hostage? Yeah, exactly. You know, that guy's like, oh, yeah, yeah, It's pretty funny. That's an interesting observation because um, having now lived in the U.S. and having to allow for just hours of security and pre-check and blah, 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 that whole rigmarole of checking in to fly, you know, it, it, in Australia, you kind of, you are kind of lucky that you just, just stroll onto the fucking plane and sit down and don't have to worry about anything. But with that said, I mean, it would take one little thing to go wrong in Australia for them to change all of the laws. They're very reactive. They legislate very reactively. So if one thing happens, they'd completely change the whole thing. And it's already starting to happen. Like, it used to be really laid-back country, really chilled out. And now it's really getting very, uh, like, conservative. I mean, it's already conservative, but, yeah, it's getting even more conservative. So I, I, I would hazard a guess that if one terrorist attack occurred or, or one security thing happened, there was one event, like a bomb in an airport or something like that, the, all the laws would change. Like, the whole country would have to adapt to that one thing. Well, that's what happened with gun control, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> there wasn't any, and then someone shot up a school, and then everyone had to get their guns in. There's a guy called Martin Bryant in 1996. He got a automatic rifle and shot up a whole bunch of people in, like, a cafe in a popular area in Tasmania. Um, uh-huh. It's called Port Arthur. And, uh, yeah, after that happened, there was a mandatory buyback scheme. So everyone had to turn in their guns, their automatic weapons and semi-automatic weapons. And um, they, I mean... The automatic weapons were weapons of war, so they were they were already tightly licensed, but the semi-automatic weapons for hunting were not. So they turned them in. They did, like, a gun crimping thing where they bought them back for slightly less than market value, 
Um, in some cases, a lot less than market value. And then they had a gun amnesty, where if you had an unlicensed or illegal firearm, they would take it in and not charge you, but they wouldn't pay you for it. Um, and then they just crimped them all. They just crushed them all in a giant gun-crushing machine, and not one shooting, not one mass shooting since. There's individual gun crime every now and then, but no mass shooting. Uh, it's <laughs> it's so despairing, isn't it? Well, okay. I I mean, there's it's a lot of NRA either. So that helps. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to it. So, like on yeah. one end, it's like, yeah, that's sick. It's a very safe country. That's great. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> there are like that's not that's that's a privilege, I think. That's like Yeah. Australia is privileged enough to get away with something like that. Well, there's three there's three parts to it, which I'm sure you're abundantly aware of. One, we have no NRA. So that right off the bat. There's no money backing guns in Australia. The second one is that our legislative system is completely different. We we're in a Westminster system which we don't have your system of government. We don't have the same problems with the Senate or with, you know, money backing certain politicians and parties. And we don't have a constitution that, or, you know, an actual right to bear arms anywhere in any kind of constitution. We don't have that. And it's not a cultural thing in Australia. Whereas here, I mean, it's a completely different, the country's history is completely different. It was built on the right for people to bear arms and defend themselves and form a militia if the government did get out of hand. I mean, yeah, obviously it was muskets back then. Well, well, yeah, but... Yeah, and that's that's the other thing is this country was built on a coup. Right, precisely. And that that has no... There's absolutely none of that narrative in Australian history. So we really... I, I don't like when people bring up Port Arthur whenever there's a mass shooting here because it's a false equivalency. It's not It's not as simple as that. And I, it kind of annoys me. I do post the Je- Jim Jeffries bit purely because it's fucking hilarious. It's but great I don't bit. expect it's a amazing. market that would adopt any of that <laughs> because it's a yeah. completely different country. It, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's apoplexy-inducing. It's what? Apoplexy-inducing. It's very frustrating. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that other word, but yeah, it is frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big dumb dummy. I don't... <laughs> You're smarter than you Four... like, Rubenstein. Don't take me Four... there. Yeah. <laughs> Four syllables, <laughs> and I'm out. Uh, what? <laughs> oh, man. I've always been... I don't know. I mean, I know your, your show, because I listen to your show and find out a lot about my fellow comedians. But I'm more interested in the stuff that you do because you talk about it in your act. You talk about, you know, managing nightclubs and having to deal with fucking, you know, rappers who don't show up or think that it's a quick drive from Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I've always been fascinated about that because I was raised in bars. My dad ran hotels and bars my whole life, so I was raised you know, in the in the saloons of of his bars and so he was booking always booking bands and he was he was he was the venue guy and he ran the place and he owned the place and it was a pretty big place. So I my whole family's in hospitality and um it's it's a pretty interesting it's I mean, it's a really crazy industry when you when you get to the nuts and bolts of it. 
Well, well this, like, uh, just just focusing on the, like, people always being late and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, like, a unique thing to Long Island, though, because I think, like, other places that have really bad traffic problems, yeah. uh, people get it. You know what I mean? People will be sure. like, oh, if we're in L.A., yeah, it's going to be horrible traffic. Or if we're in D.C., it's going to be horrible traffic. But people don't get that about Long Island. Like, the fear... <laughs> yeah. It's it's awful. You're going to be stuck in traffic. And oh, people cool. look at a map. People look at a map, or you know, like and it'll be like uh, two and a half hours, and they'll be like, okay, it's <laughs> two o'clock. We leave. We need two and a half hours. Yeah. But then, like, they don't realize that, like, at four o'clock, that two and a half hours increases exponentially by the minute. Yep. And I had to learn that the hard way. When I I, I went up to Long, I had to go out to Huntington Beach. I think it was or. Uh... No, Cold, Cold Stream Harbor, is that what it's called? Cold. There's, there is, there's a Cold Spring Harbor. Cold Spring Harbor. There's a, hunt, there's a Huntington, but not a Huntington Beach. But Right, but, I think it's Cold uh, Spring it's Harbor. I, it took literally, like from 3 in the afternoon right through to peak hour, it took oh. half a day. Yeah, 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 exactly. So people would be like, oh, we need to be there at 5, we'll leave at 2, <laughs> it takes 3 hours. It's like, yeah, but if you need to be here by 5, try and get here by 4, because it's... Right. Because once you hit, like, once we hit 4 o'clock, the road's kind of shut down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And people, people just don't get that. It's like, oh, we'll just cut through the city. Like, whoa. <laughs> uh, yeah, good one. <laughs> that's also not a great idea. Yeah. Um, I remember driving maybe, to Woodstock one time and trying to cut through the city from um, LaGuardia um, to go out to 10th Avenue. And I sat on 10th Avenue for two hours and 45 minutes. Oh yeah, that's not. That's not even like. Yeah, that's not even like a bad day. That's like that's a regular day. day. Yeah, Yeah. like I went out. I went out on Father's Day for some reason this year. Boy, yeah. And uh, that was like an extraordinary circumstance. That was like, like wow, this is. Okay, so usually like, uh, I play this game with like, the navigation on the phone, where. Uh, there's certain times of day where if you keep refreshing it, it keeps getting longer and longer, like by the <laughs> yeah. minute. You right. know what I mean? So, like, at 4 o'clock, it'll be like an hour. And then at right. 4 o'clock, it's like an hour and one. <laughs> right. uh, and then sometimes it goes reverse. <laughs> like, at six or, like 6.30, yeah. it'll be like an hour and a half. And then, like, by 7.30, it's like 45 minutes. You're like, all right, so... <laughs> Like, right. maybe if I keep doing it, it'll be, like, 12 minutes away. <laughs> Are you using Waze or Google Maps? Uh, either one. They both do this. They both right. have the same effect at that time of day, you know? Right. Uh, yeah, but on on Father's Day, it was, like, <laughs> at, at, like all day it was just getting longer and longer. And I was like, I'm never, <laughs> I'm never getting to the city. Yeah. So, yeah. I never asked you this. Do you have kids? Are you are you a father yourself? No, I'm not. You're not. Okay. I never asked you that. I just never knew that about you. No. You're not, right? You don't have kids, do you? No. God, no. <laughs> what, you think someone wants to breed with me? <laughs> well, she's still with you. I have some just, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. She needs a place to stay, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I'm a citizen now. I guess I got to... <laughs> Yeah, uh, I do like the idea though of the of the podcast in the car because you're killing time, but you're also actually doing something productive. 
Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, that's the goal, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I would like it to be... I have a vision for it, ultimately. That mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't know if I'll ever get there, but um, yeah, that's the goal. Is just uh, I have a lot of time to sit around uh, <laughs> in this fucking car, mm -hmm. and uh, sounds like you love it. I hate traffic so much, but <laughs> like yeah. I don't know. I don't have a, the alternative is the train, right? And yeah. So the train is. All right, this train is 20 bucks, right, round trip, mm -hmm. and it's still like 45 minutes to an hour. Right. Plus, I'm at the mercy of the the train. Of, of the, the Long Island Railroad. Then once I'm in the city, it's like, all right, well, now I'm in the city. Now i got to figure out how to get to wherever I'm going. From so that's either going to take time, uh, money, or time and money. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, I'm just gonna drive. The worst, the worst traffic is two hours. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the worst it could possibly be from my door to wherever I'm going in the city is gonna be two hours. Like two and a half. Right. It's like absolutely crazy. And I try not to plan around those things. Like I don't, I, I don't do a six thirty mic because I know well, that's gonna take two and a half hours to get. Right, 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 right. <laughs> So, uh, you know, what, I always do, like, uh, I have a, I have something to do on Tuesdays in the city now uh, at right. 7 o'clock in Midtown, right by Penn. So the first couple of times that I had to do it, I was like, oh, I'll take the train. Right. And then I would drive, like, the time that I would have to leave to drive to the train station to park to get my ticket to get on the train, I was like, I'm in my car, and I'm like, I might as well just drive. <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> like, exactly. You get there at the same time. Like, uh, yeah. And I got the air conditioning. And I yeah, that is one advantage with the car is you can control your environment. Yeah. And I'll do it on the train. Yeah, I don't have to hear the kids next to me screaming about something or, like, <laughs> some drunk guy or some guy throwing his beer cans on the floor. Like, mm -hmm. That was one thing that I noticed when I started taking the Long Island Railroad. I got to, I got a lot of friends up there, so I go up there a bit. And uh, is the people who just grab a big old can of Fosters and get on the train. You know, we don't yeah. drink that in Australia. You guys seem to drink that on the trains. <laughs> Tastes like piss. I I, uh, I don't drink that, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I know that that's not the uh, – I know that our idea of Australia is totally incorrect. <laughs> That's fine. That Australia that America's warped as well. Yeah, but I feel like when I hear other people talk about this country, mm -hmm. even though it's wrong, it's still kind of accurate. Roughly. You know what I mean? Like, like oh, you guys, everything's in excess and everything's like, uh, you know, Big Macs everywhere. And it's like, well, we're a little bit. <laughs> more conscious about stuff now, but yeah. you're right. Like, I can't really argue sure. that we, we don't, we aren't that shitty, you know? Right. Whereas, like, I knew that what we think is Australian, like, I knew <laughs> that it wasn't correct. You know I what I mean? I don't even like, know what a blooming onion is. Yeah, yeah. It's a good example. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, we don't eat that. I don't know what the fuck. Outback Steakhouse is an American restaurant. 
How about the, have you seen the commercials for the Loaded Bloomin' Onion? What? No. The Loaded Bloomin' Onion Ugh. is a new, it's a new uh, promotion from Outback. It is the most American thing. Ugh. Wow. It is a Bloomin' Onion with loaded french fries on top. Holy shit. It is only American. <laughs> There's nothing not American about that. That is, I mean, it's a bastardization of Australian stuff because we eat dumb food. But then they they prey on the ignorance of America by going, well, hey, this is a thing they eat. Wouldn't you know it? Those crazy Aussies. And then they go, oh, yeah, let's have it because no one else is doing it. Yeah, no one else is doing it anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, you know, I, I since moving here, I realised what people's conceptions of Australia are, and I play to them on stage occasionally. I will play to that silly um, caricature that America has built, and it's Australia's own fault. In the eighties, there was a massive campaign that everyone kind of glommed onto and went, ooh, that's what Australia's like, and they still think it's like the 80s, which is 30 years ago. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's not all dangerous creatures and fucking shrimps on Barbie, but it's not that far off. That whole middle section is scary, right? <laughs> Unlivable. Yeah, I mean, it's desert. It's it's hundred and. 40 degree desert. Yeah, it's insane. Are there like Aboriginal tribes that still live out there? There are very few left. Yeah, unfortunately, as the Western settlers came in, they also introduced alcohol, which completely fucked with their systems because 60,000 years of uninterrupted prosperity uh, among the native Australians uh, was ruined within a century by introducing uh, alcohol into their system. And it completely, I mean, it, it gives them horrible sickness and it, and it completely ruins them. It's, it's, so, yeah. I mean, Australians complain about all the drunk Aborigines. It's like, who do you think gave them the booze, you fucking idiot? And then they, you know, they try and fix the problem by um, making these, like, doing these, like, interventions. And it's just so imperialist and so... It's pretty shameful. If there's ever a thing that I'm, I'm, because I, I poke fun at Australia like I poke fun at myself. Like I'm just hard on everyone. I give everyone shit. But it, it, if there's one thing that's quite seriously pretty shameful, it's that. It's that aspect of history. Which you know, as I uh, over the years read about American history, there's a lot of parallels. There's a lot of parallels. Um, well, yeah. Well, it. I think it's like the British. I think it's like the British influence on our cultures. Right. Because, like, that was their whole thing forever, was they just... Mm -hmm. I guess they don't do that anymore because they're not, like, a superpower or anything, but, you know, throughout history, British just went places and... They just conquered places, yeah. Yeah, they just turned it around, you know, like, Mm -hmm. oh, now now you're like this, now you're like this. Right, right. And then the few places that, like, you know, stood up to them and got their place back, they were just like, mm-hmm. all right, well, now, like... But more often than not, they were just shot in the face. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, the few places like Kenya or... or right. I, I can't think of another place on hand, but <laughs> yeah. Kenya... King was like, no, 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 you guys get out. But then, like, the damage was already done. The, they were never able to, like, really recover. Right. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm sure Australia's the same way. And America's the same way. Like, we we were like, no, no, you guys, now that, like, they came here. They, you know, took over everything. And then we were like, all right, thanks for setting us up. We got it from here. Right. But we, I mean, I guess better than most places, but do we really got it from here? Right. I think it was, I remember reading about, particularly as it pertained to New York, I think, uh, what was his name? Peter something. Peter Minuit? It was in the 1600s, early 1600s. That's a name. That's a name. Uh, Early 1600s, he bought... Manhattan Island off the Native yeah. Americans for like sixty yeah. trinkets or something, which is like twenty yeah, yeah, yeah. bucks in today's language. Yeah, it was like trinkets and shit, you know. And and they didn't know what they were signing. They didn't know what the deal was. They thought they were asking if they could share it. Can we share your land and food? And they were like, yeah, 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 cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and they just didn't know. And then now, you know, they got no claim to it. Yeah, the Dutch yeah, India yeah. Company. Yeah, no, I mean. Yeah, that's that story is. Uh... I th- I think it's apocryphal that particular story because they would have signed it if anywhere down in Battery Park, down in the settlement, not all the way up in Inwood, and they and it wouldn't have been trinkets and it wouldn't have been like I think it's just the legends that's been spun to sound more interesting for the Park and Recreation Department <laughs> to tell Zurich. But um, yeah, there's a lot of inconsistencies in it, but you know. Yeah, but, I mean, regardless, like, yeah, they were probably like, yeah, we want to buy this land from you. Because you're like, right, I right. want it. And they were probably like, yeah, dude, it's everyone's land. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> yeah, about. Like, you can't, that's pretty much what happened, yeah. And you they can't own the earth. Yeah, it's not your land. And they're like, no, 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 we own the earth now. <laughs> <laughs> ah, fucking white guys, am I right? You guys are so stupid. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, I did want to ask you, I know it's your podcast and you're asking the questions, but I'm curious, so if you'll forgive my um, <clears throat> curiosity, why, as someone who is a club manager and who has that in their blood, would you make matters worse by going into comedy, which is as grimy <laughs> in the industry? <laughs> Uh, you have you're a glutton for punishment. Yeah, I don't know, man. I want to, I, I want to <laughs> create. I've always wanted to create stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I, I don't know, man. I, <laughs> I, I tried it a long time ago, and I I right. didn't love it, mm-hmm. and so I kind of got out of it. Right. But then I did it again recently, and I loved it. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna keep doing it. Hmm. And uh, that's yeah, a good reason to do it. That's a good reason to do it. I like look, man. I like writing. I like creating stuff, uh-huh. and uh, whatever's gonna increase my chances of being able to do that more often. Yeah. And I feel like this is uh, the outlet. Yeah, I mean, you know, until 
until I sell something and then they, you know, I don't know, maybe my, maybe it changes, you know, like I sell something and, you know, maybe making a movie is fun or maybe making television is fun. Or, I don't know. Sure. Yeah. I, did, I mean, I mean it's, it's a good skill to have just in general, I think, as an outlet, but also as just a life skill. Be able to just yeah. talk to people. Yeah, that, that's the thing, though. Like, you can always do stand-up, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. That's a good question. Um, no, I think it's good. I, I always ask everyone that. Like, why get into stand-up? What are you in it for? Because people always have vastly varying answers. Yours is a good well, one. You're doing it for a great reason, which is because you love it and you enjoy it and... You know, you're creative, you know. Yeah, I want to be better. What do you do it for? Why do you do it? Yeah, it's a creative outlet. Um, My other job during the day is very solitary, and I never hear the laugh at the other end. Like, if I write a strip and someone likes it, I don't get to enjoy them enjoying it uh, because I never hear back from them unless they hate it, unless they write a letter to the paper going, what the hell? Um, Right. So, yeah, when your only feedback is negative letters to the editor, uh, you know, you need some kind of reinforcement that, do I, am I even funny anymore? Do I have any gauge as to what's funny? Am I living in this weird little confirmation bias bubble of my own where I'm like, hey, I'm hilarious, but I'm totally not connected to anything that people think is funny? It's, it's kind of a litmus test for that. But then that's kind of secondary. I think the reason I do it is because I love doing it, and I, I not, I don't really have like a super objective in mind. I, I'm not, I don't really want to do a sitcom. I don't really, I don't, I'm not really interested in films, uh, maybe short films or sketches or something. But that's about the extent of it. Um, I don't, I just like stand up. I like the live aspect. I like the immediacy of it. I like the fact that you never ever really figure it out 100%. You're always working at it. There's not a lot of things where you get to a certain point and you're still trying to figure it out. Like a lot of disciplines, you're like, yeah, I got this. I, I know how this works now. There's no more learning to be done. Like every, like even, you know, comics who have been doing it their entire careers are still learning stuff about it because it, it changes. What people laugh at changes. There's There's those, you know, there's rules and structures to comedy, but then there's, the stuff that people laugh at that doesn't adhere to those rules that totally breaks, like, it's like the exception that proves the rule, I guess. Um, and that's so exciting when you find that out, when you find a thing that people are laughing at and it doesn't fit whatever, you know, comedy books or, you know, analysis yeah. says is funny. Um, that's so exciting. Like, also, I like, like, I just like watching comedy. I like comedians. Yeah. I think there's a real kindred kind of shorthand that comics have with each other where they you very rarely have to explain yourself to another comic. They get it, you know, um, even if they're super weird. <laughs> like, even if they're brand new at it or they've been doing it for decades or, you know, they, they haven't quite figured it out yet, you kind of get where their brain is at and the stuff that they're you know, the way they're wired. Um, something really yeah. exciting is watching a new comic who is really good. I find that really exciting when I see someone who, 
I mean, you and I both host mics, which can be fucking excruciating. Uh, yeah. But it can also be pretty, like, apart from being draining sometimes, it can actually be pretty good when it's a good show. Um, yeah, when, when you, yeah, I love that. Like, I love seeing, like, someone figure it out. Like, yeah, watching totally. through time, figure it out. Yeah, and, and you see them, the people who are really consistent and come back regularly, not just in summer when it's nice. <laughs> I think they schlep out in the snow and they come out every night and you can see them working on a bit and you watch it evolve from an idea to a really solid thing. That's pretty exciting to watch, you know, just from a observer's perspective. It also kind of reassures you that maybe you could get better as well, you know. How do you feel that, like, when you see someone come out and, like, really working hard uh-huh. but not figuring it out? I get really frustrated because I never want to – I never lecture anyone about – like, I never give anyone advice, certainly not unsolicited. Like, if I know a comic and we're friends, like, and they ask me, I'll definitely give them feedback. Um, or if it's just, like, a really great bit and I love it, I'll tell them. Or if there's a tag I think of, I might mention it. But it's so frustrating to watch people do the same bit over and over and get nothing – and not change anything and not realize that the only way to evolve creatively is to dive into that terrifying, you know, part of comedy where you, you, it might bomb. You might have to try it 40 different ways before you get it right. And it, and you may have to throw it out after those 40 times because it might not just, it just might not work. But I, I, I have much more respect for people who will try a bit 40 different ways than the people who just keep doing the, same bit the same way and still not getting anything and going, what are you doing? You're insane. You're not, you're not, you can't be enjoying this. You can't be enjoying this. It's so frustrating to watch. (laughs) Yeah. Jerk, Neil.